talking to Kristen, who is the assistant VP at Urban Decay. Thank you so much for coming. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. How are you doing? I'm glad. I'm good. This is super exciting, and I really appreciate it. To start, um, I kind of was just wondering about your like career journey. I know you started working in bridal and fashion, and then influencer partnerships, and then finally cosmetics at L'Oreal. So I was just kind of wondering how that path happened for you. For sure. So I'm actually going to take you a little bit farther back to um, when I was in college, I had the opportunity to intern at Avon Products um, at their mm-hmm. R&D facility. So I literally started with um, filing and all of that glamorous uh, stuff. But I was able to get a peek into PR um, at Avon. And so Later on in my career, you'll see I'll make some twists and turns, but basically that's when I first found my love for beauty. But coming out of college, um, I graduated during the recession, and so, um, you know, it was a little bit of a tumultuous time in getting jobs, but um, my priority and something that I've learned from my manager at Avon was to start in the agency world. And so I was fortunate enough to get a job at Lippy Taylor, where um, I did, in fact, get to start with David's Bridal. And so it was a little bit of a pivot um, for me, for sure. But what I learned and what was really exciting is that in the time I was with David's Bridal and what I'll see later in my career is diversifying who your consumer is. And so Mm -hmm. I was able to be there during a time where we were expanding our prom collection. So that's like a totally different target demographic and, and obviously skewing more towards teens. And then also, you know, really building out the bridal experience, we um, launched the first ever special occasion collection and also opened their first New York store. So there was just so much that I got to experience and learn um, with David's Bridal and with Lippy Taylor that really set me up for success um, when I, a couple of years later, moved over to Marina Mar Communications. And mm-hmm. there I was able to come back to beauty Um where I uh, was working on the Clairol account. And what was exciting about that and and something that I heard after my interview process was that my experience on David's Bridal really working across different types of, uh, you know, categories. So from special occasion to prom and bridal, as I mentioned, that's what excited them to bring me over to Clairol as Clairol has a different set of consumers as well. You have like your permanent hair color users. You have your semi-permanent that are more like flirting with different hair color trends. But what I love about beauty and what stuck with me is just um, the science. I'm I'm always fascinated by what goes into the products and and what um, the ingredients are and, and all of that. But also your relationship with hair color is so emotional. Um, and it was just a unique point of view that we really explored and, and played around with to help, you know, really drive Clara into this more, you know, updated space. Mm-hmm. Um, so in my time at Marina Mart, also known as MMC, I worked across P&G's broader beauty portfolio as well as their fabric hair. So I know many of you would think that, like, Tide is not sexy at all. However, as the biggest moneymaker mm-hmm. within the um, company at the time, it really allows you to get creative. When you have a, mm-hmm. a product such as laundry detergent, you know, you've got to really drive your creativity. And that's what we did by, you know, showing up at the Kentucky Derby and bringing fashion influencers there. Um, mm-hmm. As the jockey's pants are actually exclusively 
cleaned with Tide. And you know those need to be super white. And it was something that was just inherent to the Kentucky Derby, but we were able to bring in our, you know, product and experience to, to amplify it and really show this true, you know, internally we call it like a torture test. Um, I know that's probably like archaic wording now, but just to truly mm -hmm. see what the product can do and that it stands, um, you know, being out on the field. So that was really exciting. I also um, was fortunate enough to go to the Olympics um, with P&G. So a lot of my experience on oh. Clairol and with Tide, um, you know, at the agency side, one thing I'd say is that you really get to try different things and you get to feel out different types of accounts. You get exposure to so many different like types of work within your brands that I would never ever go back and not do agency life. Like I had learned so much from that and that truly set the tone for where I'd eventually um, continue my career. So on the ground at the Olympics, you know, we were working with, you know, the celebrity talents of the athletes to represent our different brands. And that was an experience that I'll never, ever forget. Um, we were at the Rio 2016 Olympics. P&G has their Thank You Mom campaign. Um, so, again, just experiencing different parts of how you can bring a brand storytelling to life. Um, That's so cool. So, with, yeah, it was really, really exciting. <laughs> I learned so much. Um, I was fortunate enough to hold Simone Biles' five um, uh, gold medals, which is wow. um, exciting. <laughs> I know. Um, you know, those photo ops, you got to get all of those amazing medals in there, and I got to be her <laughs> right there waiting with her. So, um, very, very exciting. And then I kind of transitioned into more influencer work. So, um, through my time at MMC, we've definitely, um, seen the rise of influencers. So you went from different platforms like Twitter starting, Instagram, YouTube becoming a big thing. And also you saw the shift from a uh, focus on millennials to Gen Z. And so mm -hmm. I closed out my time at MMC as the director of influencer, where we were really starting to build more dynamic relationships with different types of YouTubers and, and Instagrammers um, to, to bring in that more lifestyle aspect to our brands and, and telling that story. So mm -hmm. I loved that. I always called it, it was like matchmaking. You know, you wanted to find the right influencer to, to work with your brand that embodied the brand's, you know, qualities and what they bring to the table, but also were able to bring that product to life in an aspirational way. And with that, um, that's when, very excitingly, I got to move over to L'Oreal. So I just wrapped, actually, four and a half years as the head of global PR for Maybelline. Um, coming in-house was always a dream of mine, but what made that possible is really a lot of my agency experience. So I would go mm -hmm. on and on about why you should start on the agency side, but obviously some other people would love to just go straight into in-house. And so, um, you know, that's something that I would always love to, to chat more on, but Anyway, so with going in-house, um, what was cool was that I finally wanted to be more on the side of making the bigger decisions as it related to the brand I was working on. So on the agency mm -hmm. side, you're always pitching your big ideas, um, but at the end of the day, you know, you're, you're still at the mercy of your client, and, you know, they'll make the final call. So that was something that I wanted to experience more of, and I was also given the opportunity, um, so, you know, CSR, philanthropic work is a big passion of mine, I'm like totally on the side, like outside of work. And I was able to bring that passion into Maybelline um, by creating their first ever global cause program around mental health, um, Brave Together, which launched in 2020. 
at a much wow. needed time with everything going on with COVID. So mm-hmm. those are no easy feats. Um, it took a couple years to launch. Um, you know, what's really important are finding topics that can resonate with a global audience. So Maybelline's the number one cosmetic brand worldwide in over 120 markets. So I have all the love for my time with Maybelline. I think it was <laughs> the most like eye-opening, rewarding experience where we really built out, you know, what it was like to experience Maybelline and, and taking it so much farther beyond products. And so I could go on and on. I'm sure <laughs> I'm like already going on way too much here, but I also no, recently being, made a lifestyle choice. <laughs> Good. Um, I made the lifestyle choice to actually move cross country and I'm now in LA and um, have the awesome opportunity to stay within L'Oreal. Um, they, um, have a few brands on the West Coast, and so I'm fortunate enough to take what I've learned uh, through Maybelline on the global side over to Urban Decay. And mm-hmm. um, I'm in a very unique uh, role, actually, as a chief of staff to the general manager of their U.S. business. And here, there you would typically see um, chief of, chief of staff um, usually come with a more marketing centric uh, background and more of like business school, et cetera. Um, This was a unique opportunity that was created because actually they were looking for more in this particular situation of comms background. So um, it's been really cool to experience this side of the business. I love learning, and I would say to anyone that take these opportunities as they come up. But also, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm just excited to bring in my PR and comms experience into a different channel to see what I can bring to the table with those skill sets. So it's been a busy bunch of years, but I, I've loved <laughs> my career in beauty um, and, and going from agency to in-house. I really appreciate that I have, you know, both sides of the coin to experience. Yeah, sounds great. And it sounds super exciting. Um, what was kind of the move like from when you moved from New York to L.A.? Was that like a hard adjustment, different coast? So aside from the time difference, as I, when I did first move out here, I was continuing to work New York hours, so they were early days, Uh, Um, but I appreciate learning actually out here and now that with Urban Decay, which is a California-based brand, um, born and raised, going from Maybelline, New York to to Urban Decay, is seeing Mm -hmm. the different aspects of beauty. Um, So that's what I've really actually appreciated most of my experience thus far, is seeing what you know, what does California West Coast beauty look like? How is that consumer different? But also keeping, you know, your New Yorkers in mind and, and the rest of the, the world even because Urban Decay 2 is a global brand. So that for me has been a shift. And then also um, I'm going from working on the global team to the U.S. So the U.S. is obviously much more focused on, you know, selling product, um, building that U.S.-centric uh, consumer relationship, you know, what is your relationship with retailers? How are you, you know, optimizing your dot-com experience? So it's, and I would say at L'Oreal, they love um, to make sure that you have the balance of these types of experiences um, as that really helps you grow um, in your time at L'Oreal. Nice. Thank you. Um, yeah. So now I was wondering if you had like a toughest interview question from when you were looking for a job it sounds like you've been lucky to kind of try out different things. So I was wondering kind of what you were faced with in an interview setting. Sure. I mean, if you Google the toughest interview <laughs> questions, 
the one that will always come up that I will still say is a tricky one <laughs> is, you know, what are either speaking to what you would call your opportunity areas or like, you know, the not so great way of saying weaknesses because everything is an opportunity area uh-huh. um, or just, you know, where you turned like something that went wrong into, you know, either a positive or a learning experience. And mm-hmm. the biggest thing I'd say um, is questions like that really actually get to demonstrate who you are as a, as a team player and how you approach your work. So I would say it's less on focusing on what was the exact story, but like, how were you in that experience? What did you do um, to either navigate it? You know, problem solution oriented is always a big ticket. It, it's mm-hmm. really that type of question that shows the type of, you know, teammate you'll be. So I would say don't overstress a question like that. I actually think it's it's one that you can really lean into and, and show um, your strengths even more. Yes, that makes so much sense. Thank you. <laughs> of course. And and then what is your favorite thing about your industry that you work in? Ooh, I mean, that's a tough one. I have <laughs> a lot of favorites. I think what's unique about where the world is today, and it's it's been a challenge, um, is the role of brands in a consumer's life. So I would say even just a couple years ago, you didn't want to see brands leaning too much into pop culture or to politics. Um, you know, there's a lot of taboo topics when it comes to that. But what I'm seeing and what I'm excited to be part of is how brands are um, – becoming a more meaningful part of your life. So, you know, now consumers are choosing brands, you know, if they're cruelty-free, vegan, like the brands you use have evolved more to be truly a reflection of who you are as a person and really bringing Mm -hmm. that to life. So I would say that that by far has been a great part. Um, I mean, many people were, you know, thinking stereotypically that, why would a beauty brand be launching a mental health program? And the one thing that I just kept seeing, especially in Gen Z, which was our target demographic, was that Gen Z saw this um, experience of makeup as a ritual to practice self-care. It was time that you had to yourself. And so makeup is Mm -hmm. never going to solve mental health. We would never, ever say that. But we have partnered with incredible nonprofit partners who have loved the fact that a beauty brand could come into this conversation, make it more approachable during a time when you still see that it's very stigmatized, especially abroad. So, you know, being able to leverage our global platform, you know, our creators, you know, our social, et cetera, like to to not only drive awareness, but improve, you know, what is out there in the world to, you know, support from a mental health perspective. You know, that to me is just, I mean, that was by far my favorite, most favorite uh, program, but it was really cool to see how the consumer really um, reacted positively to it when there was definitely, you know, there's some of the people that were a little nervous how it would be uh, perceived, but, you know, we did our due diligence, mm-hmm. we showed up right, and we brought a campaign that really did resonate and, and help. So um, that was, I would say, was probably my favorite. Yeah, I love it. That's so cool. <laughs> I mean, how I'm about- obsessed, and so... I- always recommend, um, you know, practicing self-care, mental health, whatever you got to do for you. Yeah. 
What about your maybe least favorite thing about your industry? Another great question. <laughs> I would say I think the beauty industry gets a bad rep for, you know, either, you know, certain brands not, you know, embracing inclusivity, diversity enough. Um, mm-hmm. And what I can confidently say being on the flip side is, you know, brands are working tirelessly to really meet the needs of their consumer. And there's so many uh, factors at play that go into products being created with the ingredients, you know, balancing out how do you make sure you have good for you ingredients that are potentially vegan, cruelty-free, but then also give you the same payoff. Um, it's it's definitely a wild ride, but I, I appreciate that, you know, beauty does get called out a lot for that, but at the same time, there's just so much being done um, mm-hmm. by beauty brands to, to really show up for their consumers. So I just, I would love to see that conversation change in the future, but that's definitely something because I myself, um, I'm half Thai, half Irish. And when I was a kid seeing my mom who's Thai, you know, trying to shop at the like, you know, beauty counter for foundations, it was no easy feat. And, you know, Mm -hmm. my skin tone is definitely like a mix of things. So, you know, it definitely took time, but I do see that there are more and more offerings to encourage a more inclusive industry. So I'm excited to see, you know, how many strides can be made in that um, and continue to, to grow. Yeah, totally. <laughs> kind of turning it into an opportunity. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, I was wondering if you had like a biggest fail or a funny story at any point in your kind of job search or career journey. Ooh, I mean, <laughs> I know I'm like now thinking back, I'm like, there's definitely fails. I will give you that. <laughs> um <laughs> So, or do you have any advice maybe for your 22-year-old self? Oh, she was such a cutie. She was trying so hard. <laughs> um, like, look, I would say that, like, back then, and I, I sound like I'm aging myself, but we didn't have the Internet as it is today. And so, you know, having the resources that you now have at your fingertips that are almost just come naturally that you haven't even had to think twice about having um, – Take that and and leverage your network. I would say that the biggest actually type of fail that I'm now that you're you're going into this is persistence does pay off. Um, mm-hmm. I would say that you know if you are very eager and hungry to either get a particular position or to talk to somebody, um, like people have reached out to me on LinkedIn, and I would say it's the ones that have followed up because I'm so busy that actually get the the airtime and. Mm-hmm. It's it's not for not wanting to chat with that person, but just things fly and, and you know, especially in PR, like things are moving at a at a rapid pace. So persistence, I would say, please, like, don't be shy, don't be scared. And I actually don't think many of your generation are scared to do this, but keep up with the ones that you really either admire or um, the brands, like seek out the people there. Like it never hurts to to, you know, reach out on LinkedIn and and just follow along and get the advice that you want to, to, you know, bring it into your own career trajectory. So mm-hmm. I would just say that the people that have been most successful with me are the ones that have persisted and, and, you know, are also very, um, I would say um, self-starters. 
um, you see a lot of people who like do something once and feel like they've, they've, you know, they want to now move on to the next thing, but you've got to practice it. You've got to show that you've got the expertise in that space before your manager will bring you to the next level. So I'm speaking more from the corporate culture. Um, I know there's so many cool startups out there and different ways of, of approaching a career, but I was very into pursuing, you know, a beauty um, role at a big company like L'Oreal, which I'm very fortunate to be at. So I would say that's my advice because I don't think I persisted enough when I was younger. Um, I was too shy, too nervous, to, or like afraid to annoy someone when really everyone's just super busy. So whatever you can do to stand out, get the, the FaceTime, the airtime, like you've got to do it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Thank you so much for talking to me and for imparting your wisdom and telling me about your job search. This was so amazing, and I really appreciate your time. So thank you so much. Thank you. This is super fun, and best of luck.